Welcome back to Posting Up with Keith Smith. That's the legend on my right and Adam Taylor. That's me, brought to you by Heavy on Sports. Keith, man, how's things? I know Christmas has just gone on, so it's always a busy time of year. How did you enjoy the Christmas day slate? Yeah, it was pretty good. I thought the games were, were, weren't bad. I, I was a little worried because we had a lot of injuries and guys that were going to be out, but the games ended up being very enjoyable. So I was pretty happy. I did not make it all the way to the end of uh, Nuggets Suns. I, I was I was out cold before that one finished, so I finished it up the next morning. But, but yeah, it was great. I had a good time. And now I'm looking forward to our uh, hour-long breakdown of the Cornette Contest as it uh, revolutionizes the NBA because that's what we're doing today, right? I mean, we should be. I mean, I'm more than happy to throw our entire talking points out the window and just do an hour on the Cornet contest. Uh, full disclosure, I watched the Lakers maths. I watched 50% of the Celtics game, and I was so full and so tired that I, <laughs> like, I was like, dude, I'm just going to watch this in the morning, man. Like, I'm so used to watching games without timeouts now that, like, when I have to watch them with, I'm dude, this is just so much longer. Like, <laughs> it's the same with watching a TV show when you like DVR everything or yeah. you, know, you, you watch it, then it's like these ad breaks are just brutal. So yeah, I, I feel you. I feel your pain. I was like, no, not doing it. I watched the uh, the Nets <laughs> game last night. Who was it? It was a, uh, I can't remember. Nets, who Cavs. Nets Cavs. And um, I got to like the the end of the third and it's like 1.30 a.m. And I'm just like, dude, I'm going to sleep. I'll just yeah. catch the last uh, quarter in the morning. Yep. Right then, so today, as everyone that's been following along from the start of this show, we're on Western Conference contenders. After this, we're going to diversify a bit more. We won't stick to conferences as much or at all, most likely. But we need to be fair and we need to speak about some teams that are going to contend in the West, but then they're going to come up against either Boston and Milwaukee and then maybe it's not going to go so well. Maybe it will. <laughs> Who knows? So we're going to start off with the reigning champions who have no Steph Curry at the moment have been kind of up and down throughout the start of the season, the Warriors. So the first question I've got, and I've wrote this out, is kind of like three different questions. Do you still think they're contenders? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the Warriors are that, that rare team where they, unless they're not in the actual playoffs themselves, I'm going to still put them in the contender tier. I, I just, I don't think you can take them out of it until they're, they're finished off. I just, they're, they're too good. There's too much history there. There, There's too much of kind of everything uh, with them. And, and if they can keep their, you know, kind of, it's, it's weird. Just stay afloat while you wait for Steph to get back and they'll, they'll be fine. They'll go on a run in the second half of the season and they'll end up, you know, somewhere there. But I do, I will say this. They want to get into that top six because they know you mess around in that playing tournament, you have a bad game or two, and all of a sudden your season's over. So you definitely want to get into that top six, even if getting into the top four and home court advantage might be out the window for them right now. Yeah, it's that linear graph, right, of like mess around and then find out yep, what yep. all the young kids are saying right now. <laughs> what I like about the Warriors is, and this isn't like an X's and O's observation or anything like that, it's just – when you fire them up, when you give them a reason to, to come out there with just trying to punch you in the mouth, trying to shut you up, and I'm looking directly over at the Memphis Grizzlies when I say this, they find a new gear. It doesn't matter whether Steph's healthy. It doesn't matter if they've got Draymond or whoever. They just find a way to kind of be like, no, we are who we are for a very specific reason, and there's nothing you can do about it. And yeah. Against Memphis, it was Clay that did that. It was Clay that was like, hey, I, I can still be that version of Clay, just not all the time. Yeah. What I do like is uh, James Wiseman starting to show signs of life. 
I wouldn't say they've been consistent enough where any where I'd be buying any stock at the moment. It's uh, definitely penny stock. The Wolf of Wall Street is the guy you need to phone if you want James Wiseman's stock. But there has, there's been a bit of signs, right? He looks like he actually understands where he needs to be defensively. His rotations have got a little bit better. Still a huge project. And it was always going to be a swing. And then it was either going to be a big hit or a big miss with him. Do you think he's ever going to come good? I know big men are always the last to develop out of a draft class majority of the time. Yeah, I, I think he will eventually figure it out. I don't think it'll happen with the Warriors. I think there's just too much pressure there. Unless you know, they turn into, our, we're going to really turn the corner into a rebuild here or even a semi-rebuild after this season. It's just not going to happen with him there. There's not going to be the minutes, the opportunity he needs to be able to play 30 minutes a night and play through his mistakes with very low uh, impact or low uh, uh, but low risk. There's no real chance there of losing anything major. And that's just not where the Warriors are going to be. They can't give him those minutes. They can't give him that time to play that much. And that's what he needs. So I still think he's going to develop into being a quality center in the NBA. I just think it'll be after he's traded. And I think that's best for him and the Warriors both. Trade him. Get something you need to kind of stabilize the bench because that bench is very, very poor uh, right now. Get Get something in there stabilizes your bench extends your or maximizes your window with the core group over the next probably two three years reasonably um that this group will really have that window open and then go i know that's the, the whole idea of the you know we're gonna have two decades of excellence because when the core ages out then we're gonna have the new core of pool and wiseman and kaminga and moody and they're gonna lead us forward i know that's sacrificing that to some extent but i would rather maximize what i have today with curry thompson and green than risking you know well maybe it'll pop and it'll get figured out so that, that's what i tend to think is going to happen and this is an issue right like this is on our talking point so we're staying on topic as well which i'm very proud of by the way <laughs> um when i think about this i always think about four years ago with the boston celtics danny ainge straddling contending now this was when there was Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward. You had Jason Tatum coming through as a young guy, Jalen Brown. You know They had the talent to contend now and contend in the future. And you was always towing that line between focusing on the rebuild or focusing on trying to win now. And the problem is when you've got one foot in and one foot out, you're never fully committed either way. And the players know this as well. They're not stupid. They see that there's some guys in their late 30s and other guys that are, could theoretically you know, give or take a couple of years, be their kids. And it's like, well, are we contending now? Are we contending in the future? And I just don't think that's a viable process in developing a team that's capable of winning in the immediate, no matter what talent you've got there. So from what you're saying is, and obviously my opinion is you either, I'm a, I'm a big, I like developing the young guys. So I'm like, hey, you've had your championships Start leaning in towards the kids, give them some more minutes if you don't think that you're good enough to win again. If you do think you're good enough to win again, which Golden State clearly are, you, as you said, you need to start looking to move on from some of these young guys because it's their careers too. Every game you're not playing them, you're stalling their development both where they are and elsewhere. So do you think it's actually hurting their chances of being a contending team, of being a t like getting one more, two, maybe two more rings for Stephen Clay? Yeah, I think right now that they are kind of sitting in that uh, one foot in, one foot out area, like you said. It's it's they they haven't gone all in one way or the other. And I I'm a big believer in when you're close, go for it. 
because yeah. it's really, really hard to win championships. And I know they just did it last year, but it's, it's, I'm always reminded of the old Tom Brady quote of what, well, when he was at Michigan, he asked their equipment manager, which was his favorite championship. Uh, and the Michigan equipment manager said the next one. And I like, that's always like stuck with me. Like you can never win enough championships. Right. So like you want to keep that moving forward as best you can. And I think in this case with, um, with uh, uh, Curry, Thompson, and Green, you want to maximize that. And the best way to do that is move on from at least one of these these kids. Now, Kaminga, I think it's fine. Keep him. He's shown he can play and that he can actually be a part of your rotation. But a guy like Wiseman can't. Moody probably can't right now. So unless you're really like, yeah, within a year, they can be that guy. I would look to move them. That doesn't mean you're dumping them for nothing, but go get solid veterans that could come in and back up your guys and really maximize your chance to win. Because otherwise, yeah, you may be sitting there looking at them being like, man, you know, we might have been able to get one or two more if we had just, you know, rebuilt our bench a little bit better around those guys or whatever the case may be. And right now it's just kind of sitting there and you're seeing a team that's kind of middling. They're, they're, you know, middle of the pack in, in the conference. And I don't know that it's going to get much better. I certainly don't think it's going to get much worse. And that's that's just not really where you want to be. And when you say veterans, one of the things that always I, I try and stress is at 28, if you got drafted at like 18, 19, at 28, you're a legitimate veteran. Oh, and, yeah. you st- and you still have free like – you're entering your prime. So trading for a veteran doesn't have to mean – and I feel like this is a negative connotation with that sentence – it doesn't have to mean trading for a guy in his mid to late thirties. Yeah, it exactly. Just, it means hey, we can go mark like we can go and get someone at 28, 29 that is not only capable of being an elite bench guy, but when we need him to, he's more than capable of playing in that starting five. And then you know from watching the Warriors over the years that you want him to be a good after dribble guy. You want him to be a smart screener or somebody that can play off of screens quite well. You want him to be um, shifty on ball. I'm describing a guard here, but a wing is exactly the same these days. There, there's so many ways you can go, but I just wanted to point out for the listeners that there is a negative connotation with trading for a veteran where everyone's like, oh, well, you know, 35, we're going for Danny Green. Well, you could, and I think Danny Green would actually be a really good fit. Um, but Overall, what we're saying is, hey, 27, 28, even 26, that's still a veteran in the league. You've, you, mm-hmm. you've got some real equity in the NBA at that point, and they can come in and give you some serious minutes. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going for the guy who's got a year or two left at most. Like, you're looking for somebody that's, yeah, they're, they're later in their career, they're established, but, you know, that doesn't need to be a star guy, but just someone who could come in be part of your eight, nine man rotation in the postseason, and, and off you go. So yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see which direction they, they choose to go. It's a little weird that Bob Myers is kind of playing out the string here without a new contract for next year. That's always a little odd because now he's going to be making decisions at the trade deadline for a team. He may be building that he may not be running. You know, when we hit the summertime, we'll see what you know, ultimately comes of that. So yeah, there's a lot of things I've got my eye on with the Warriors for sure. Do you ever think that's part of the reason why he's not making decisions? Maybe he's operating under certain constraints. Um, it could be. I, I would hope not, right? I would hope the Warriors would give him the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, you've you know, built this championship-level team multiple iterations of it. In the past, even though the core's always been the same, the, the kind of pieces revolving around that core's orbit have always been a little bit different. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be. 
I, I really don't know. I don't have any real insight into that. Well, so moving on, we're going to look at Phoenix. I, I'm trying to keep this around that 10 minute mark for each of these teams. I like the Suns. I do. I have one issue with their current offense that I want to point. I want to have your opinion on shortly. But I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the fact that they've just got new ownership, right? And mm-hmm. shout out to their new ownership. I saw something the other day that they donated like a hundred thousand dollars for. Um, I think it was kids, like yeah. underprivileged kids, to Super be able cool. to attend games. Yeah, um, that was a huge kind of commitment. Or hey, we've arrived in the community, and I'm always a big fan of whenever you can do a charitable gesture, you do it. Yeah. But overall, like, how do you feel this this new ownership impacts the Suns in the like the mid term? I think it's huge. There was definitely players who didn't have a lot of interest in going to Phoenix, whether it was being on a team that was owned by Robert Sarver for all of the very valid reasons that he's you know just not a great person, um, or there was this sense around the NBA of the Suns are cheap. They they they're one of the only, one of only two teams without a, their own G League team. They sold their G League team a couple of years back. Uh, they they regularly don't fill all of their roster spots. And these are just little things where it's like, well, what are we doing? They made DeAndre Ayton go out and get a sign and offer sheet to match it to save just a little bit of money. And it's not, I know some of these people, well, these are smart decisions because it makes this cap number lower and all these things. They're going to be a capped out team no matter what, because you've got Devin Booker on his big contract, Mikhail Bridges on a, you know, what is a good contract, but on a, a big contract as well. So it's just, you know, the, these little things. So I think those things, then just the absolute breath of fresh air that he brings into the, this organization after years and years and years under this cloud. Uh, with Robert Sarver is just going to be huge for them. That has a chance to kind of lift everybody in the organization and maybe, you know, get them feeling better as soon as that, you know, sale is processed and approved and voted on and all that other stuff. You think they become a free agent destination now? They take, they have a chance. Um, you know, I always tell people there, there's three things players look for, but when they, when, when, when they're a free agent, it's how much money can I make? And what's my role going to be? And can we win? Those are kind of synonymous with each other. And is it warm weather? Uh, just the reality is guys don't want to play in the cold. I mean, it's, you know, just a, a simple fact. It's, you know, there's a reason Orlando, even when they're not very good, still gets meetings with guys because it's it's Orlando and it's warm most of the time. Not right now. It's been chilly over the last few days here <laughs> uh, in Florida. But it's, uh, but yeah, it's, we'll see. We'll, we'll see where it goes uh, with that. But I think they have a chance to really become, you know, one of the better uh, free agent destinations in the league. And having a core group that's still relatively young with, Bridges, Booker, and Aiden, that that certainly doesn't hurt things either. You, you've got a really good shot of coming in there and saying, hey, it can be another guy and just kind of keep this this machine moving forward. It doesn't get warmer than Phoenix, right? Like, uh, not usually, yeah. It's, now, now they'll tell you it's dry heat and all that other stuff. There's no humidity and, and all that. But yeah, but it is, it is in the desert for sure. So one of the things I want to kind of touch on is, I'm not saying it's a weakness of theirs, actually it's a strength, but what I have noticed from watching the Suns over the last like week, week and a half, um, is they really rely on DeAndre Ayton as like their offensive hub, right? He has to get his touches, whether it be on, on the post, whether it be out towards the wing or on the slot. He's definitely, they play through DeAndre more than anybody else. So when I first started watching the Suns like closely, I was expecting a lot of a, uh, Devin Booker creation, which you get some like um some bridges, 
But what I wasn't expecting was how everything has to go. He's kind of the metronome, right? He's the pivot point where if you want to reverse the ball, the Andre Ayton's the guy who's touching it before it reverses. If you want to run any form of chin actions or UCLA cuts, it's always the Andre Ayton being that big that receives the pass. My biggest concern there is if, God forbid, DeAndre Ayton had to miss time towards the business end of the season, are they able to generate new forms of offense without him enough to still be one of the better teams in the West? Yeah, that's definitely tough. And you saw it 20 even with him on the floor moments in that Nuggets game on Christmas where he was after Devin Booker went out, it was almost like Aiden went into a little bit of, I got this mode. And they were running those, I like to call it, you know, it's those high post entry actions where it's, you know, get it to him free throw line and above. And instead of being patient and running whatever the set was, he was turning and shooting uh, on a lot of those. Yeah. And it was like, that's exactly what Denver wants. Denver wants you taking, you know, those crappy 15, 18 foot jump shots that are just not very good. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's where, where I worry with him. Um, when Chris Paul has played, they play at an absolute glacial pace. I mean, they are just slow, slow, slow. And that's fine because they score more often than not. I think they're second in the NBA in offense. So their their offensive efficiency is really, really solid. It just really becomes, you know, where is where, where is this? And this is a team where when you look at it, I know this sounds silly because I'm not mentioning their star players, but they need all of those guys healthy. If they're down even one or two of those guys, they're 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 just not very good. And that's the reality is they, they need those guys. And, and Chris Paul, I, again, big assist day on Christmas and all those things that, that he does, he just looks a step slower. He doesn't look quite the same guy they has been. And that could be just him playing his way through the regular season and, you know, not pushing it too hard or whatever it is. And I know he's just recently back from injury and the like, but, but get, get their guys healthy because they need all those guys on the floor. Yeah, outside of Booker, I don't feel like they've really got anyone that's beating you off the dribble consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's why I I do think that Aiton's such a big part of their offense because he's your entry behind that point of attack. And then as the defense starts to rotate and somebody digs at Aiton or they look to trap, that's when you can get that penetration without having to do it off the dribble. So it was I just an this, observation. Uh, yeah, I say this loving Mikael Bridges. But I want to see him do a little bit more with the ball in his hands. Other than right now, he is basically he shoots or he's like a couple dribbles off a closeout kind of guy. He's really good in transition, but you get him in the half court, he he just doesn't run anything. And I would have thought by this point you might see them, you know, just give him a few possessions each half where it's kind of all right. Hey, you're you're going to be the guy, especially when Booker's been out, um, you know, out of the lineup. I would have liked to have seen more of Bridges do, doing a little bit more with the ball in his hands. We just haven't seen it so far. So the biggest question is, do you have them pegged as contenders this year? Yeah, I think so. And this is the West is just weird. They, you know, we, we if we went through all of them, I'd probably have six or seven teams that I would say, yeah, they can get out of the West. I think it's just that that tight and that compact this year in the Western Conference. And I think uh, you know Bridges is a bit or Phoenix rather. I'm still stuck on Mikhail Bridges now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Phoenix is a big big part of that. They're, they're going to be. A, you know, have a major say as long as they're healthy when, when we get there. And I may, you know, we, this is one where I get asked this a lot doing radio and podcast appearances or, you know, what about, you know, Team X? And it's one of those ones where, especially in the West, it's, well, 
let's get to the playoffs because I get to see who's healthy and who what the matchups are. And if the matchups are right and Suns are healthy, I may look back at it and say, yeah, they're they're my favorites to come out of the West still. I think yeah. I think last year just things went really sideways on them and it got really weird. And you know, we're left with a bad taste in our mouths from that blow loss in game seven. But you know, this is still a really, really good team. And they're probably the team, if I look at it, I look at them the most and say, because they've been there and done that, I do kind of trust them a, a little bit more than most of the other teams of them in Golden State. I kind of that cachet for me. And then we move on to the Denver Nuggets. So I want to see how you feel about Denver. I feel like Denver are one of those teams that are, uh, how can I put, they're the almost team, the almost maybe. <laughs> like I always feel like that. Do you remember that song, Call Me Maybe? From yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I feel like that's the the theme tune for Denver over the last few years, right? Like, obviously, Jamal Murray's injury was an absolute hammer blow to them. This is the first year we're really seeing that tr- that big three of uh, Murray, Jokic, and Gordon all the way through. Uh, but I just I, I'm a big fan of Bones Highland. I like Bones Highland when he's healthy. Uh, I like um, can't remember his name now. I think. I'll have to remember his name in a moment. My brain's gone blank. But I'm just not 100% sold that they're a championship caliber team. I think they're going to be a really tough out, and there's a way that they can get to a Western Conference Finals. But there's just it just feels like something's missing for me. I don't know whether you're the same or whether you see them in a different light. No, I, I do. I, I feel see them differently. I do think that they could win win the title they've got to shore up their defense right now their defense is way too hit or miss i think some of that is just continuity stuff that they've had murray's been out of the lineup porter's been out of the lineup some uh their bench has been just kind of a mishmash of who's available and not but so you've got to shore that up but if they can do that offensively i trust they're going to be there you know obviously Jokic is incredible you know, he could win a third MVP. He's been that good. And I, I don't think he will because I think there's going to be voter fatigue. And I think there's going to be, hey, let's give it to somebody else. Um, but I, I, he, he could, you know, win another MVP. I think uh, Jamal Murray is really starting to find his footing again. We, we knew it was going to take him a little while to figure that out. Michael Porter Jr. is back now. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., this is the best way I can describe this. I was actually having this conversation with a friend yesterday. He might be the, easiest scorer in the league like when he's going it just the game's so simple for him he's like right there with like and no this is is crazy comparison i'm not saying he's nearly the player he is but when he has it going he's like kevin durant just the game looks so easy for him i think it's just because he's so big he's so skilled you can't block his shot you you can't really even get to to bother him on anything so he gets it going and then aaron gordon is very good i love caldwell pope and bruce brown um as the two guys kind of in their in their uh you know, perimeter defense to lock that down a little bit more i think their bench needs a little bit of work i I want to like Bones Highland more than I do. I just find he's very frustrating. He, does, he doesn't play enough defense, one, for me. And I feel like there's times when it's like, hey, uh, you know, you don't always have to come off the screen and shoot. That you, you can pass. It is possible, like, you know, every once in a while. But I get it. That's the role they're, they're tasking him with. But but I, I really do. I think they've got a lot of really interesting pieces. I think there might be another trade in there for them to make. Again, shore up their bench a little bit. So I, I like Denver. But. Like you said, with Phoenix, health, matchups. So let's see who they're playing because I think there are some teams they can do really well against. And I think there's other teams that are going to give them a lot of trouble. 
So I want to shout out Zeke Naji because that was the name that my yeah. mind blanked on. I love Zeke Naji. That was the name that my mind blanked on. And I think, they, look, I can see where everybody likes Denver. I really can. Offensively, I think they're fantastic. Uh, some of the stuff they've run with Jokic at the top in that delay and the, the actions they've run, and then they run, then they come up with a wedge screen off as, as a secondary action to get Jokic into the post. Mm-hmm. I just think that they're really, really well coached. But for some reason in my head, I just keep going back to, there's a way to beat these guys off the dribble, especially if you're pushing the pace and you're pressuring the rim. And I'm not sure whether they could sustain a seven-game series against a Grizzlies where John Morant is just like pressuring the rim on every single possession. That's exactly the team I think that would give them a lot of trouble. Yeah, and that's kind of where my issue is at the moment. Just a, a, an additional rim protector would work wonders there. Now, there's options out there, uh, but how do you do it? Do you, do you go do... do that you kind of push Aaron Gordon back onto the bench and bring play like a double big with a, a Roma. Uh, there's just ways, but it's just yeah. a lot of questions. And just for one team or two teams that are really going to give you trouble as well, is it worth making such a monumental adjustment in the first place? Yeah, I think you, you, this sounds so oversimplifying it. Do what you do, just do it better. Right, like you do what you do, just do it better. Like it's not, it's you don't. Sometimes you don't need to change things. Sometimes it's just hey, let's execute better. But yeah, it's it's teams like Memphis with guards that can get downhill because it's not it's not just Morant, but Morant gets you kind of in the blender. Then he pitches it out. Then Bain can attack off the bounce. Yeah. Dylan Brooks can attack off the bounce, and now all of a sudden you're you're facing that second, third paint attack and now now you're really messed up and that generally results in either a layup or somebody being wide open and it just comes down to then are they going to knock down the shots but that's what i worry about a little bit because you want to have jamal murray on the floor but i do wonder is your closing group almost better without him out there because then you can play both brown and caldwell pope together and that should really uh, solve any any perimeter defense issues you have or do you play all three and do you move like Murray kind of hide him on whoever the weakest offensive option is and do those kind of things I do think there is some uh, gamesmanship that Malone can get into without drastically changing the scheme and the way they defend yeah because you don't if it's not broke don't fix it that's my biggest uh, cons- that's where I kind of battle I'm, I'm in a two for, I'm in a tug of war with myself at the moment on how if I was the guy on the sidelines for the Nuggets how I'd want them to defend Memphis. Luckily, I'm not because I'd make very bad decisions and they would lose very quickly. <laughs> uh, but... That's what I say all the time. People, people are like, do you really think you know more than the coach? And I'm always like, absolutely not. No. Like, they, these guys know. These guys have forgotten more than I will ever know about the game. But that that's not going to keep me from suggesting things that I think might work. I do. I'm glad you called out Zeke Naji though, because one thing I am certain of. He is better than DeAndre Jordan, and he can handle those backup five minutes. Yeah. And there's only—I mean, the reality is there's only about ten to fifteen of them a night. So you know, Jokic, otherwise he's out on the floor, you know, for as much as any other center is in the league. So I would just, you know, let's get Zeke Naji in there. And my my problem is they go to him. And then he's out of the rotation for two weeks. And then they go back to him for a few games. And he's out of the rotation. I'd rather see him just stick in the rotation. Because I think, think long-term, let him play through a little bit of stuff. You've got It's not that they have a cushion, but you're – you're you're right there at the top, so you know if you give give him a week or two to really play through his mistakes, see if he can learn, figure stuff out, and lock in. Because I really think that kid can play. Yeah, he's a he's a baller. He's a legit baller. Okay, we're gonna move on to real or not, and I want to start with one that I didn't have on the show sheet because we All wrote right. the show sheet last week. Love it. Just surprise. a quick one. Ja Morant 
saying that the only team he's concerned about <laughs> is the Boston Celtics, as everyone can see I'm wearing my NBA Finals top today. Real or not real, should he only be concerned with the Celtics or is he just trying to throw shade at the West? All right, let me start with I love how brash the Grizzlies are. It's like my favorite thing. I love that they're I, – I, when everybody was all like, man, they're talking to LeBron a year ago and they, they were getting up in his face and everything. I'm like, I love it because you know what? Back it up. And so far they always have like they, they're right there. So I, I think he's going way too far with, with that. I definitely think there are teams that maybe you should be a little worried about in the West, but I love the confidence, man. Keep, keep that confidence brimming. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Okay. So now we've got the Brooklyn Nets. Last time we spoke about the Nets, we were talking about the, uh, Hiring Jacques Vaughn, uh, that was seeing a few changes there, seeing a little bit of um, a winning mentality start to shine through. I think they're like 14 of their last 17 have been wins Something now. Like that, yeah. they're, they're really like they're rolling at the moment. They're playing some really good basketball. I was watching them on what us English people call Boxing Day, which is the day <laughs> after Christmas. I don't now, hold on. Now, I got to pause for a second. I was reading this article. Like everything's all weird for y'all, right? Because it's like, Christmas was Sunday, so Christmas holiday was Monday, so Boxing Day was Monday, but Boxing Day bank holiday is today. And do I have? That yeah, day? that's right. Yeah, so, <laughs> so if, everything's if a, all off. If a national <laughs> holiday happens on a weekend, they give us that day back on yeah, the first day of the week. So yeah. both days, so Christmas Day and Boxing Day are both national holidays. So yeah, because one was on a Sunday, everything gets pushed back. That's so far. So, the country's not back to normal until tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah, so great. Uh, it means good food for an extra day. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, a couple more days off school too, right? Which is always fun. Yeah, me. I mean, they don't go back now until I think until it's like January 5th yeah. or something oh, crazy. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Anyway, back to the Nets. <laughs> the Nets. Real or not real, this resurgence that we've seen from them. It's real as long as they keep it about basketball. And I thought their quotes after their their win last night against Cleveland, where they're like, "We're we're just we're focused on basketball. We're just playing basketball." And it's you know, I mean this with no snark, even though it's the snarkiest comment I can't make. Shocking that when really good players play basketball, the team is really good, right? I, I mean, that seems crazy, but the Nets are their offense is humming. I want to say they're like fifth in the league in offense. They've been hovering anywhere between like seventh and in 12th on defense over the last couple weeks so they've rounded into being a pretty good defensive team i said this on on twitter this morning as twitter's apt to do a couple people like, well actually um but i think ben simmons is playing almost as idealized basketball right now he's defending great again and they're just saying hey man just run run the show Make plays offensively. Just get guys set up. Do do your thing there. We don't need you to take a bunch of shots. He's you know, only taking five, six shots most nights, and and it's fine. And he doesn't want to shoot, and he doesn't have to, quite frankly. And, and when you look at who he's on the floor with most times, you really don't want him to either. Right now, we'll see in the playoffs when teams can really game plan for a specific opponent. How do they bend the defense towards, well, we got to make some in the shoot. So we're going to really take away as best we can Kyrie and KD, but that's a lot easier said than done. Those guys are really, really good. So that team, man, they, they are fun, fun, fun. And again, another team that could look and say, you know, we, we are, we need to shore up X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. I think they need another big because they're very reliant on Nick Claxton to kind of give them all the minutes at the five, um, all the good minutes at least. 
but they've got the pieces that they can go out and trade for that big if they need to without you know drastically hurting their their kind of core rotation. So yeah, I'm I'm all in on the Nets being real. Just scary because they're very 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 good. Yeah. About a week ago, Dame, we don't hear we haven't spoken much about Portland on this show, so maybe next week we do a bit of a dive sure. on Portland. But Dame had some comments about uh, Shai Gilgis Alexander, whether or not he should stay with Oklahoma long term. The grass isn't always greener. You know, you know what your role is right now. You, everyone looks at you as the leader of the team and so forth. Do you think those comments are real? Like, is, is, should, should SGA be taking this advice? Is that some legit advice from, legit advice from somebody that stayed with his franchise through thick and thin, despite all the outside noise? Or do you disagree and think that SGA needs to be looking elsewhere? I think he needs to give it another year. And then if they're not making real steps forward in a year from now uh, towards being a, a winning team again, then it probably becomes, all right, how long do I want to see this out? Because we're, we're, we're moving into the prime years of my career here. I'm under a long-term contract. But today, yeah, he's fine. He's fine there. And I think, you know, with Damian Lillard, I've held this forever. Really, it was the Kevin Durant stuff when he uh, – it started with LeBron, but when Durant left OKC for Golden State. And everybody vilified him for that, much like they vilified LeBron for going to Miami. And my, my thought at the time was, you know, we – as long as when we sit down – 20 years from now, we talk about a player's career and we're like, you know, they were one of the top five players of all time, but never won a championship. I'm never going to criticize a player for moving everything after the, the, the butt, right? Like get rid of all of that there, right? From, from the butt back from there, move all that out and go. Because I think the challenge is we, we, we're, and we're all guilty of it is we put so much pressure on these guys to win a ring. So then they do what they should. Like Durant legitimately sacrificed a lot of money to go win a ring with Golden State. Nobody liked it because we all saw it as like, you like, that's not how we wanted you to win that ring, right? We wanted you to win it in OKC with Russ and, you know, do it, doing it the way we want. Um, on the flip side of that, I've never even have a problem with the guys like, I like where I am, like Damian Lillard clearly likes playing in Portland. He likes being the guy in Portland. And, and I'm not going to say, oh, Damian Lillard doesn't care about winning. He just wants to be the man on his team and in his city. So that's not true either. He wants to win, and they've won at a pretty good clip. They're in Portland, even if they've never always broke, oh, never ever broken all the way through um, with that. So I think with Dame, it is, I really look at it, and I'm like, yeah, if somebody's going to give advice, to one of these guys and be like, hey, man, don't rush it. There's no reason to like run out of town. Like, hey, he's the guy to do it. And I think for SGA, yeah, it's fine. Now, if we're two years from now and OKC still sitting around the bottom of the pile and, you know, haven't have moved forward at all, then I can fully understand if SGA is like, uh, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to go do something different. Yeah, and that's fair because you only get one career. And NBA careers, is, everyone always looks at how much they earn, but you've got to realize these dudes are retiring before you've even hit your like mm -hmm. career stride. So it's worth remembering as well. Okay, last real or not, about four weeks ago, episode one of this show, we spoke about, or maybe episode two, but we spoke about the crazy, crazy, crazy Utah Jazz. Just finding ways to win despite theoretically not having the talent to be winning as much as what they are, right? They continue to win. Are they playoff bound, real or not? Uh, play in. I, I think they'll be in the play in. Unless, you know, Danny Ainge says, 
that's not where we want to be. And he really starts doing trades for the future. Uh, that That's still, I'm not going to take that off the table because I could see Ainge saying, yeah, it's great that we're you know, right around a 500 team, maybe a little above, but we're not going to get into the postseason itself or, or the playoffs themselves. We're only going to be in the play-in tournament. So that's not where we want to be. So I'm going to trade players X, Y, and Z for draft picks, younger players, whatever. Then they'll, they'll fall out and they, they won't be in the playing race. But if as long as it stays like it is, they'll, they'll be a play-in team. Then it just becomes really so much of the play-in is going to come down to how do you shoot you know, in, in that, those one or two games. If you shoot okay, then you're probably going to get through to the playoffs. But I, I can't see anything more than that for, for the Jazz right now. But you know what? That's where they get to. That's awesome, right? I look at it as... I always go back to when the Celtics built up quicker and they had that first season where they acquired IT at the trade deadline and they made the playoffs that year. It was like, you know, people are like, ah, oh, yeah, but they're out in the first round. And it's like, yeah, we expected them to win 20 games. <laughs> like, and they <laughs> still made it to the playoffs. Like, you know, that, that's, you know, still kind of, kind of a cool accomplishment. And, you know, and if Minnesota doesn't get things figured out, just like you did with Brooklyn, maybe Ainge is like, "Hey, I outsourced my tank. The Wolves will do it for me, and now I can, you know, I can go go uh, build this roster up the way I want to." So, so we'll see. Uh, so, I real as far as a play-in team, yes. Real as a playoff team, probably not. Random question, just to end this one: What has more like? Okay, so in ten years' time, when we look back at the 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 Brooklyn Nets fleecing by Danny Ainge. And Minnesota Timberwolves fleecing by Danny Ainge, which one looks more like daylight robbery? Because right now, oh, even now, even, yeah, <laughs> even cause now it, like, yeah, because it came with Tatum and Brown, right? Like, like and we know that. I mean, we we get to see. I mean, the the Wolves would have to be really, really bad for it to end up that good. And I don't know if the Wolves are going to end up quite that bad. You know, the Nets were worst team in the league levels for a few years there after that. You know, so well, let's see. I don't know that the Wolves are going to dip quite that far. Do you think uh, they need to figure out how to play with Rudy Gobert? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know what? Rudy Gobert needs to be more impactful. He's not even defending at a good good level right now. Like he, I watched a little bit of their game uh, last night, and he wasn't even good in that game. So I'm a little bit uh, concerned. You know, when you're not even showing up defensively, that's that that's not great because that's you know at the very least that's what what's expected of you. Yeah, that's that's where you make your impact. Okay, we're going to move on to eye catchers. So we'd like to get through this one nice and quick. I'm going to read them out. Keith's going to tell us why he caught it there, right? There's some I've put in there. So, Keith, I just want to hear your opinion on that anyway. Sure. That's why you're the legend. <laughs> okay, so your home city, the team closest to you, the, just the magic as a whole have just been a bunch of fun. We spoke about them at length previously, so we don't need to stand in them long. But they're winning. They whooped Boston on a back-to-back. We're not a back-to-back, but, you know, like a two-game stretch. Yeah. Um, what's caught your eye about the way the Magic are playing? Yeah, they have guards healthy again. Having Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony available really changes everything. It takes a lot of the pressure off Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner um, to really create everything. Those two guys are still very good at that. But just having guys who can get the offense organized, guys who can control the pace of the game, and those kind of things is absolutely huge. Now the next step, let's get Jalen Suggs back on the floor. Let's see if Jonathan Isaac still exists, or is Jonathan Isaac a figment of our imagination? Um, you know that, that we don't even know if he's real or not anymore. But if he still exists, let's just get these guys together. It's the rest of the season 
even though they're winning right now, maybe they could make a run at the play and we'll see. I don't, I tend to think not, but, but if they could, that's great. But wins and losses don't really matter. It's about how you plan, figure out who fits together and all that good stuff. Thomas Bryant for the Lakers. Now, when I wrote this, it was just after AD went down and Thomas Bryant came in and gave Denver that work as he caught your eye since then. A little bit. Um, you know, Thomas Bryant's one of those guys I've always kind of liked. Um, the challenge is he's, he really fell off at, well, when he got hurt, um, at, well, when he got injured. There was a point where he was starting to hit three-pointers at a decent clip uh, with the Wizards but before he got injured. Um, now he's back to doing that again, and I think that's maybe a little bit more real. Um, I, I'd say this fully recognizing he's only taken 25 threes. But take some more of them, big guy. Let him fly. He's 12 for 25. You know, his last two years in Washington on almost 100 threes per season, he was at 33% and then 40%. Um, his last two two full uh, healthy years, I should say, uh, with the Wizards. So, yeah, I think Thomas Bryant can play a little bit. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see them use him more even when AD gets back. Maybe even use him more in, in more uh, traditional lineups with AD at the floor next to Thomas Bryant. And that would make KD happy. He's already spoken once this year about wanting to play the four. Moving on, we've got Killian Hayes has all of a sudden remembered that he was a very highly touted prospect coming into the NBA and has been like, let me show you what I was meant to be. And he's been balling out. He's been playing really well the last few weeks. Probably one of the best stretches of his NBA career. What have you seen from him that's made you be like, yeah, Killian Hayes is that guy or no, Adam, you're completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> He still can't shoot, so that part I'm, I'm worried, very, very worried about. I there's, you may know this, or you will come to know this. Everybody who's followed me for a while, there's nothing I dislike more than primary ball handlers who can't shoot because I think it makes everything so difficult on the rest of your offense. That said, he's playing with confidence. Uh, he's getting downhill a little bit more, getting into the basket area, setting guys up. I think uh, he was, he's, I just don't know that he's ever going to be a good fit in any lineups with Cade Cunningham because they both need the ball too much. And then if you add Jaden Ivey to the mix too, now all of a sudden you've got three guys who need the ball and then Hayes ends up drifting a lot off ball. And then you, the whole defense slides away from him and pays him no attention. So, but you know, I'm glad to see him playing with a little bit of confidence. I think the rest of this season is big for him for deciding, you know, Hey, where am I going to go career wise? I, I think he gets a little bit forgotten too. I just want to make sure. Yeah. He's only 21. Um, so that's, you know, that part of it too is a little bit like, I, I mean, I, he's, he's a kid, right? So let's not go, go too far, uh, with this. So I, I think, um, you know, there's a chance he still, you know, figures this out and pops because guards, you know, they sometimes, especially point guards, they can take a little while to get it going. Most likely going to be away from Detroit, right? I think so in the long term. I, I think, uh, I just can't see him becoming a good enough shooter that lineups with him, Cunningham and Ivy together will work and they have to work in order for him to succeed there. Otherwise, you know, your cap is you're going to be a 20 minute in the night backup guard. And I just, you know, I think we're all hoping for a little bit more out of him. TJ Warren, you put TJ Warren, Warren's very good <clears throat> throwing the ball. Um, he's back from injury. If we're going to be more, uh, more precise, how are you feeling about TJ Warren? Playing great. I mean, he looks really, really good for the Nats right now. It's uh, you know, I had somebody say this. I said this on a radio appearance the other day, and then somebody, somebody uh, tweeted at me and was like, "Really? You know, he's just he's only scoring ten points per game. Yeah, he's scoring ten points per game in uh, less than twenty minutes a night. So, 
shooting 55.7% from the field and 38.9% on threes. Threes are going to take a little while to get his volume back up. That, that'll come with, with time. I don't know that we'll see him take the volume of free throws he did, but you know, I know we talked about the Nets quite a bit before, but just giving them another guy they can plug in there that can just go score the ball and is pretty good away from the ball too. I mean, that's, that, that's tough, man. That, that's rich getting richer stuff. And finally, we got Keon Johnson. Yeah, so this is uh, this is full on league pass nerd deep dive <laughs> stuff because everybody's going to be like Keon Johnson, like what in the world? But Keon Johnson is finally getting minutes. He started, he became a rotation guy uh, about two weeks ago uh, for for the uh, for the the Trailblazers. Uh, most of that was was due to injuries, but in that period of time, he has shown can score a little bit, can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. He's defending uh, fairly well. Just, you know, with Portland, I trust their ability to develop guards, whether it be uh, you know, Damon, Damian Lillard, um, uh, CJ McCollum, Anthony Simons. Um, just, you know, they, they tend to crank out good good players there in Portland, especially on the guard line. And Keon Johnson, you know, he went to a Clippers team that was very good and was, was – uh, Designs of being a title contender it was never going to, you know, be great opportunities for him there. And then got to Portland, he was injured. He didn't play a lot. Now he's finally starting to see a little bit of minutes. And I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with him and Shaden Sharp, who's also been really fun to watch. But yeah, this, this is one where I, I think, you know, unless you're staying up late on the East Coast and uh, staying up to watch those Trailblazer games and you're getting into that first and second uh, 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 half uh, sub-rotations where he actually sees his minutes, you're probably like, what in the world? But there, there, there's something there with Keon Johnson. He's definitely shown me a little something over the last couple of weeks. And with that, we have completed our show. In record time, we actually stuck to the time limit we imposed. Look at that. On the dot as well, <laughs> 45 minutes on the dot. Everybody, if you've enjoyed this show, please make sure to hit that subscribe button over on YouTube. Uh, Keith's handles and my handles are both on screen. So if we said anything you agreed with, disagreed with, we're both available. If you come at us respectfully, we'll come back respectfully and the like, blah, 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 blah. We'll be back again next week with a little bit less structure in terms of contenders, pretenders, and we're just going to talk some serious hoop. Until then, everybody have a fantastic week. Enjoy your New Year's. And as usual, Keith, man, it's always a pleasure to spend the best part of an hour with you, man. I appreciate it. Happy New Year, everybody.